Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. My husband's listening, listening to it, and they'd be crazy because she's such a little cute. I've gone through a whole representative of the Aaron's Night at the Hall, so yeah. if they can't get the answers, how are the people going to get the answers? They know how hard I work and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818969696. 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. That's interesting. You see the paper this morning. Some of the uh, electrical costs could be uh, coming down over the next couple of weeks and months. That would be no bad thing. Pinergy, the latest, to cut their prices a little bit. And again, they did it earlier in the year. The Independent saying this morning that Board Gash and Electric Ireland and all the others will, will follow suit. We're, we're not going back to where we were before all this Ukraine crack started, but certainly it looks as if the bills might be slightly less horrendous than they were last winter. And uh, hasn't Michael McGrath said that there'll be some assistance coming up on Budget Day like there was last year? And yes, I know we got back our own money kind of thing, but still it helped. It certainly helped, but it's good news to see that in the papers this morning. Good news that kind of stands out after such a tragic weekend. You're looking for good news this morning. Um, I was down in Kerry for the weekend and I was Friday night chatting to friends and having a drink and just catching up. And this horrendous accident, the news of it started to filter through on our phones and you just you cannot possibly get your head around it you know as a parent just as an ordinary citizen you you cannot get your head around the idea that three youngsters three young girls just got by all accounts brilliant leaving cert results and one of their brothers he's driving them to be met by a bus to go to a party, the most normal thing in the world and the next thing you know, they're all dead like that'd put a damper on anything wouldn't it it kind of puts, you know as a parent mine are gone from those years now, but as a parent someone was saying in one of the news reports this morning you know, as a parent you don't sleep properly until you hear that key in the door and that could be 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock. God bless us. 7 o'clock in the morning. Yes, when, when you have someone living out of home, as we have now with, with our girl, she's living with her friends in an apartment, living their best life and fair play to them and really enjoying themselves. But you kind of say, look, you're going out, enjoy your night. Will you ever do us a favour? Text us when you get back to the apartment. Just It's just that. So that when you wake up at 3 in the morning to go to the or something there's the text on the phone that says home and go to bed and 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 that's 
that settles your mind. You know, it does, like, I, you just can't, can't, can't get your head around what the parents and the families and the friends are going through in Clonmel. So our, our thoughts are, are kind of with them, definitely with them over the, the weekend and, and for the next couple of days as they as they try to um, say farewell, all too early farewell to these young people. And there was another interview I heard early this morning. The CEO is out on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon around two o'clock. CEO, results the CEO, first places are out on Wednesday. And some young student or other was being interviewed for the radio and said, sure, who cares now? What's it matter now? And you think, that's perspective. That's perspective. 0818969696. Just wanted to share those few thoughts with you before we kick off. We are kicking off with school, though. Uh, we're back to school. Uh, I've said it so many times this month. I'm so glad we're not in that space anymore that I can remember coming to the back end of August, sort of early September, and you are searching for a few euros to try to cover a bill for a uniform or a pencil case or a book or shoes or a new school bag or whatever. Let us talk to uh, a good friend of this show, Seamus O'Connor from Skullbridge in Middleton. Seamus, there are some initiatives this year, particularly the one with regard to books and copybooks and stuff brought in by Minister Norma Foley. That should help, will they? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very and uh, to be to be fair to you, don't like sound like somebody who doesn't have children in primary school anymore. Um, <laughs> listen, I I completely agree. I think that there has been, particularly since COVID and obviously the energy crisis uh, difficulties over the last year, has focused the mind in relation to supporting families. Um, I think bringing in the school books, uh, the free school books at primary level in particular, was a look. It's a, a very welcomed initiative. I think to be fair, it's only right because if you look at our neighbours across the border in Northern Ireland. The scheme has been in play there for a number of years, and I suppose a lot of, particularly the border county schools, were looking across the border where, where pupils from the Republic were going into Northern Ireland. Actually, as one of those reasons, and uh, quite longingly, um, and I suppose to be fair, even though it was rolled out small bit late, it was just after Easter. I think schools across the board have have uh, you know kind of really upped the game and and gotten the book book lists in place and so on and so forth. And what I would definitely commend as well is the the, the major um, retailers of books have emphasised, so we're in Middleton, so it was emphasised to us that we should work with our local book, uh, the, the shelf in our our local company in Middleton and so on and so forth. I think that was replicated across the the all of the country. But what I would say too is I agree in, in relation to the anxiety that the beginning of school creates. I suppose for us as teachers and schools, we're excited to be um, prepping and getting the children back in. I suppose particularly post-COVID where we had the six months and then the following three months lockdown in 2021 where we had no children and we were working virtually and that was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for staff and school, it's, it's very, it's an exciting time of the year. However, for parents, it can be, quite torturous be it from a financial perspective and hopefully that's abated slightly this year with the free books yeah. just um, on that free books you... for a second Seamus before we move along yeah this is a simplistic question I know but is, does this, is this for every child in primary school 
It is PJ at this point. Every child, so the budget was approximately €92 Euro per child, and it depends on the size of the school. Some, so larger schools will be able to absorb all of the stationary costs as well. Middling to smaller schools, it'll be the books and the copies. So you'll just have your your pencil case and your pencils and your, your colouring pencils to, to purchase. So, yeah, to your question, it's it's across the board. Well, but I, well, it would be great now if it came in for secondary school next year as well. It's not in for secondary school at present. Indeed, indeed. Now, th- there are... Things like summer provision programs for families, um, have they been of assistance? Yeah, I, I guess where I am in, in, in Middleton, we have, we're one of the only schools in the country that have six ASD classes. So with that in mind, we absolutely created it. Um, and also in fairness, since COVID last year, the, the name of the provisions was changed from July provision to summer provision. So as children will say with levels of dyslexia, dyspraxia and other isms, uh, as well as children from DESH environments would also have an opportunity to have um, a, a, a summer camp, for want of a better phrase. Now, for me, the importance is uh, we ran ours in Middleton the last two weeks in August, so the last two weeks just gone, it allowed for children with levels of anxiety or ASD children, pupils who would miss miss the routine of school mm-hmm. to get a nice break in back into school without any of the pressures surrounding, we'll say, 400 pupils around them and so on and so forth. Again, the budget for this has been quite strong by the department. And, and look, PJ, I've been on here before and probably there's other issues we'll discuss where I'd be critical of the Department of Education in relation to supports. But in, in, in relation to the summer provisions, you know, we had 47 children on site and we had 17 staff. So that's you can you can mm. see there the numbers are very good. It's so good. I mean it's it's that's a, a lot of investment yeah. there. That's a lot of investment. It is, and the initiatives that it's an initiative that is hugely beneficial to families and children. You know. Yeah, yeah. I remember my own young lad going to his as he used to call it summer camp um, back in yeah. the day, and it was hugely beneficial. Hugely it beneficial. Is, it is, and and look, the, the, you're you're entitled as well. You're given quite free reign in relation to the balance between. Um, it was team this year, and the team was building connections. So there is an element of academia that goes with it. You know, you do your science, and it's, you're not doing Irish verbs. I'll put it to you that way. But you are doing an element of academics. But you you are entitled to twice a week go off on trips. His his favorite part was tea and custom custard treats yeah, with the teacher. Yeah, the so baking. That you can... yeah. <laughs> well, I was down there for the two weeks, and I definitely put on half a stone from all the baking that was done. Anyway, you know. Here's something as well, Seamus, that comes up at this time of the year every year, and it's a bug there, the so-called voluntary contributions. They're not really voluntary at all. I know the minister doesn't like them, but she's not nothing to stop them, is she? No, she isn't. It, it's quite a difficult area to police. And I suppose the PGI have been on here before. I'm, I'm very open to discuss it. And I suppose the difficulty is that a lot of schools won't openly discuss why they're needed. And then there's a grey area and there's a kind of a mystery around it. The idea of the voluntary contributions is uh, certain schools, the predominant amount of schools in this country are underfunded anyway. That's well-worn conversation. Um, and I suppose to keep certain certain bills going or, 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 or to pay certain bills, they're looking for the fiver a week in the brown envelope or whatever the case may be. Some schools, to be fair, ask for absorbent amounts of money three or four hundred euro at the start of the year as a voluntary contribution and and kind of harangue parents to do that like mm. but that's that's the uni- that that wouldn't be the norm to be like, fair like children not getting but, a locker if they're correct yeah and and again that's more of a secondary issue but i, I suppose personally i wouldn't be in favor of it I, I do know like in our own school a lot of schools try and generate their own revenue by creating poster um, preschool uh, breakfast clubs or, or whatever running those on site and making a small profit out of it so that it can go back into the school and help with the running costs I mean I'd be very honest with you PJ um, you know the, we are underfunded I would argue there was cuts of up to 30% mm-hmm. across the, the capitation grants in 12 and 13 due 
due to the the financial crisis at the time. Now they have been restored to a point, but as you know, <laughs> look at inflation, so on no. and so forth. The cost of running what and I maintaining say, and heating and lighting yeah, the school is going way up. Yeah, what what I would advise parents if they're concerned about the voluntary contribution, have a genuine conversation with the principal or, or the staff or the school, just in relation to where is it going and is there any way that it could be lessened or maybe a, a, a one big fundraiser could be done in the community to support the school, which would would alleviate the need for these voluntary contributions. I, I, I do think it's just if there's a discussion around the topic rather than a kind of a uh, leaving it go, I think it would be, it would, you know, I think that's a more prosperous way to kind of figure out yeah, the problem. Yeah. We hear frequently of youngsters, you know, struggling with life. It's normal, it happens, anxiety, panic, whatever. Uh, CAMS is another area, grossly underfunded, grossly understaffed, unfit for purpose anymore, some would say. It must be very difficult, it must make it difficult for schools, like yours or any others, that have a child with a difficulty, you might as well forget it as to try and get them into CAMS. Yeah, and again, this is the bread and butter of my job, particularly at senior management level, where, you know, the curricular side of it and, and the financial cost for parents is an important part of my job. But actually, the health of my pupils and my staff is, is, is my paramount thing. What I would say to you, PJ, is that there was a report, as you know, um, that was published over the summer. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't get huge traction. And I would I would ask and urge everybody to go back and maybe Google it or look at the report. It's it's one of the most damning reports I've ever seen in relation to any state part of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and CAMS was the focal point of this. For me, as a principal, you know, with three hundred plus pupils in my school, I would I have cases of of medium to high levels of anxiety across the board, as, as every school would have. For me to actually look for CAM support is, is non-existent. The best opportunity I have is to refer them to the Mercy A&E at 7 o'clock on any morning and hope that they'll be seen through CAMs in an emergency capacity there. But that isn't good enough. And when you talk about underfunding, that's fair, PJ, but it's actually the understaffing. Yeah. They don't have the staff in any of them. No. And on a particular, I have a particular issue in my school in relation to di- a di- the need for a dietitian for pupils. So, you know, and I need a consult, uh, you know, a consulta- consultation and a, a paediatric dietitian to support for certain pupils. They, it's not in anywhere in Cork. It's not anywhere in Munster. Mm-hmm. So to, to just give you that as an example. So at a time when, as, as you know, look, social media and um, eating disorders and so on is is is, is such an, a topic mm-hmm. um, to think that here in Ireland we don't have a paediatric dietitian in the whole Munster area is, you know, I, I read that report that you refer to in regard to CAMS and, and it's it's horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. It is. And it, 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 I'll be honest, it didn't get much traction because it came out towards the tail end of the RTE saga and I think maybe got people were sagged yeah. out at that stage, you know, but yeah. and it got buried in that. But look, you know, it's a key facet. The most vulnerable in our, the, you know, children are one of the most vulnerable in our state, as you know, and look, the fact that we don't have the mental health supports for them even at a basic level, we don't even have a basic level of support for them. That's fact, yeah, yeah. according to that. That and and you know, as a principal, and as it's something that's very alarming to me that it hasn't gotten more traction. But look, we'll keep trying to absolutely we'll trying to raise it. Feel free, to, thank br- you for feel free to, to bring it up here anytime you need to, Seamus. You know that. Lastly, and I've spoken to a few teachers and a few other principals. The shortage, particularly of subs. Like, how's your staff complement now as you prepare to yeah. open for the new year? I, I, I consider myself privileged that all of my vacancies for this academic year are filled and we have one or two individuals who are kind of trainee teachers via Hibernia, whatever, who are living in the locality that we can relatively call on. My sister is a, a teacher. She's a deputy principal in Dublin. 
she's starting school on Wednesday and at this point four of the positions in their school are not filled. I suppose in a previous life I was part of the teaching council up until 2020 and we went to a number, I went was present at a number of stakeholder meetings in relation to teacher provision 2017 to 2019 and at that time it was hugely raised both on the ground and at union level and at senior stakeholder level that this was a problem that was coming and, and hasn't been addressed by the department mm-hmm. and PJ to be honest, like when you go to these stakeholder meetings, the department reps that will stand up and they'll give their presentation they won't take questions and they won't take solutions and i mean a solution would be years ago and to this day if you go into the training colleges if you're from a goyle area so if you're living in we'll say um, any of the goyle areas in yeah. west cork in, 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 in cork right. yeah in Ballaborna, yeah. you get a certain extra number of points in your leaving so that you can get into mere into the to teach training colleges and a simple solution would have been a number of years ago if you live in the direct urban area of Dublin for argument's sake because you could see this happening whereby cost of living and people immigrating and so on and so forth that maybe you got an extra 10 points just towards teacher training but again that wasn't listened to at the time but we need solutions in relation to this this is going to go on and go on mm. and the most difficult thing is that it's going to hit the secondary schools even more so over the next few years as the massive surge of, of numbers at primary level start well, well, filtering James, into the if secondary level. you look level. at the two things that we know that are happening first of all we know that loads and loads of young teachers are heading off to Dubai uh, to Correct, teach yeah. and also and I happened uh, uh, an old old personal friend of mine has been doing this for the last number of years commuting to the UK to teach. Yeah. Commuting. Yeah. Booking far I mean, enough, booking far yeah. enough in advance with Ryanair that it's cheaper than a train to Dublin. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's all very fair. And as I said, I, I only have first-hand experience from it for talking to my sister who, there's a person in her school who drives from Carlow every day up to, mm. you know, Dublin 13. So, like, the reality is this has been a problem for a long time and, and, and a bit like the voluntary contributions, the department genuinely haven't taken this by the bull by the horns and try and, and lead on this and, and it's a difficulty that needs it to be addressed. Be, it might be cynical of me to suggest, Seamus, that the reason they don't is they would then have to recognise that it's actually happening. Well, 100%. And no, they have, in fairness, what I would say, one of the initiatives they did bring in after a long battle was the, what they call the, the substitute panels. So in Middleton, we have three teachers that are based in the Royal School in Middleton that are supporting 18 other schools. It's a start. It's something. Um, but they, it, the problem is they have the equivalent of these in Dublin, PJ, and they can't fill those panels either. So I, I feel sorry for my colleagues in Dublin. What, one thing I would like to raise is, um, PJ, before we go, is that mm-hmm. last year I came on your show. We, when, I, when you interviewed me this time last year, we were the first people to raise the cost of living crisis pressure yes. for schools. Yes. And from that, the schools did get a once-off grant, which was deeply appreciated. I would argue, if you look at the, if any of our listeners were looking at the cost of diesel and petrol over the last three weeks, you'll notice they've all gone up by 15 Indeed. cent, and it's the equivalent Indeed. for us at the minute. So I would just urge and ask that schools would get that um, Cap, um, the additional capitation for the energy crisis um, for this coming academic year as well. So that would take the pressure off all schools in relation to that. And again, the, we can then maybe have a diligent conversation around the voluntary contributions and see could that be abated. Seamus, thank you. As always, Seamus O'Connor from Skullvija in Middleton. Um, frequent contributor on the show. Thank you very much. Back to school. The book scheme is for... I didn't know this. Well, I did. It kind of hadn't looked deep enough into it, I guess. Not having to, as no longer having kids in school. It's for everybody. For every primary school child in the country, which we we, we do enough knocking of government, no matter who's in it. But that's certainly something good. It's absolutely something good. With regard to costs, Kevin reminds me, and I mentioned the possible reduction, slight reduction in electricity. 
Kevin says, ah, but petrol, he said, coming in this morning, 179.9. So the cost of household energy might come down a few quid, but fuel is steadily on the increase again for the last couple of months. And up it will go again. I was listening to one commentator last week saying that by the time they bring back all the excess they took off during COVID and when they were back all, or after the war rather, they take back all the excise and they start putting on the carbon tax. We're going to be back up to the 183, 184, 185 mark for our petrol again before the end of the year. Which, it's a fair point, Kevin. They bring the electricity down a little bit and the petrol goes back up. You can't win, can you, pal? You just can't win. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie Come to it in a minute. I don't know whether you're following this... Rubiales story of the guy who kissed the captain of them. Was he the captain? Anyway, he kissed the Spanish footballer, slap bang on the lips after the Women's World Cup final. And there's now calls for him to step down because the behavior was inappropriate. And there's rumors now that the team won't play again until he does step down. He's refusing to step down. He says he didn't know. I don't know if you're following it at all my only thought was when I saw the picture not so much when I saw it happening in video because it happened so fast but when I saw the picture my thoughts were if that was my daughter and a man of your age grabbed her like that and planted her dropped the gob like that I'd come after you I would come after you with something blunt however that's only me 0818 96 96 96 now we'll be talking again in a minute about before five, I'll be chatting with Lee, whose daughter was all set to go to before five. All excited, all set to go, and now it's all fallen through. I'll be talking to Lee in a little while. But first, we spoke last week when the before five story broke to Elaine Dunn, the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. And Elaine, you had a meeting then last night in in Ballincollig to discuss the situation which you're describing as and I can see why you would it's now in at a national emergency good morning good morning um and thank you for having me on again yes absolutely it's a national emergency and you can see like parents are trying to find places in cork and they can't find anywhere um we, last night in the room, there was many, many providers from all around Cork and the atmosphere in the room was really, really, it was sad. The anxiety within the room was really bad. Um, we had um, the Lord Mayor was there and um, we had Michael Collins was there. And Michael Collins, one of the words, he, what he said to us was, Minister Gorman is very cold towards you. He's very cold towards all of us, okay? And he is because he's not listening to us. And when a system is broken and we have to come out and protest and close our services yet again for three days, 
then there's obviously a major problem. Fundamentally, the biggest problem is the funding. You get the funding right and it breaks. All of the other things will just fall into place. But right now, that's not happening. Um, we also had, and I really appreciate the councillors that arrived at that meeting last night. And um, councillor Seamus McGrath said, a system that is broken and providers are under intense pressure. Um, and it is, and it's intense personal pressure because it's taking us away from all of our families. When you look at the four services that have closed in Cork in the last kind of month, mm. 254 children have been displaced. Yeah. And nobody can do anything about that because none of us have places. Nobody yeah. has a place. Yeah. And if you look at B four or five as an example, as the most yeah. immediate one, mm. that's a facility that has been. I was amazed. It's been there for fifty years. But it's not the only one. So another community provider was there last night, and a few other providers, and they're all saying the same thing: they're going to be forced out of business before Christmas. So do we sit back and allow this to happen? The parents don't want that to happen. We don't want that to happen. But why are government not stepping in and doing something? This is an emergency now. When one TD turns around and says, your your, your crisis is, is now coming up on par with the housing crisis, mm. then we have a major problem. And I've heard from some of the families down in Cork that are, that are scrambling for places. I got a text before I went into the meeting last night from a manager in a hotel here in, in Cork who they, they can't find a place for their child anywhere. And they need the place fairly quick because the, the, his wife has got to go back to work and they cannot get a place anywhere. So it's taking women out of the workforce. Predominantly, it'll be take women out of the workforce. I, I am hearing... So are we going backwards as regards women's rights, you know? I, I am hearing from the north side of the city, Elaine, where some mothers are now contemplating their working future because of what's happening at Before Five. They're saying, I really am going to have to either quit work or change my hours because of what's happening over there. Oh, no, absolutely. And I'm, I'm so sorry for those families because I wish we could help them, but there are no places. And if I'm telling you here today that listening and, and being at that meeting last night and providers are saying that there'll be more closures, more services are going to go, and then what's going to happen then? There's going to be nowhere for children. Children have a right to an education. I mean, children at the forefront of all of our businesses, and we all nurture children. We open our doors. We got taken over, core funding came in, and it has failed. It has dramatically failed the provider, it has failed the parents, it has failed the staff, and it has failed the children. You have probably explained it a dozen times, but would you please do it again one more time for me, Elaine, for people who mightn't understand core funding, what it means. So core funding was a new funding that they brought in last year. It was supposed to save all of the providers and it was going to uh, take a lot of fees off the parents, take the pressure off the parents, and they were going to give us a proper fee. But unfortunately, the fee that they give us is based on a Crow report that they did in 2017. Okay, so if you remember back in 2017, life was probably pretty good in this country and, you know, everything was going well. And then we had a worldwide pandemic. And we're in a European war and it put up all of our prices of everything. So obviously this is why we're failing, because when you signed up to core funding, you had to sign into a fee freeze going to 2021. But for a lot of the small and medium service providers, you're actually tied into a fee freeze dating back to 2017. And I'll ask you again, do you know anything that's the same price as it was in 2017? Good Lord, no. So chance, but we are, chance be a fine and that's thing. what's closing us. But that's what's closing us down. And when you talk, when you listen to a community manager of two very large services in Ballycolic, and when you hear the debt that they have 
in their account, starting reopening today of 87,000, they're in the red. And obviously there's something seriously wrong. It's the community services and the, the private providers are all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, the biggest issue is funding. Yeah, you get the same, effectively, all that's available to you from the government, breaking it down into simple English, all that is available to you from the government is the same kind of rate that would have caught it or barely caught it in 2017. Absolutely. And then if you if you look, when we, when we were during the pandemic, the government gave us the EWSS. And we were able to take a breath. We were able to open our doors. And even with low numbers of children, we opened up for central and, and frontline workers. And it went on from there. And we opened up our doors. And that showed us how we can be absolutely funded right. And then we, we in good faith, we signed up to core funding. And in good faith, core funding is now putting us out of business. And we're supposed to be in a partnership. Well, I don't know about you, but a partnership is two people communicating and talking to each other. Yes. Like your, 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 your federation is very prominent, Elaine, and you yourself are, are no mean performer in the media and you, you're, you're always available. And I'm sure if you were, had an opportunity to sit down with Minister O'Gorman, you'd, you'd, you'd bite his hand off for it. Have, have, no, no. Had, have you had so much as an email? Um, we had that meeting, but we had to walk out of um, because we weren't going to get anywhere in that meeting. And I knew that. So th- like, there's no point in sitting in a meeting that is not meaningful engagement. Yeah. So what's the point in and sitting what, in that what, meeting? What were you being told at that meeting? Remind me again. I, I can't. <laughs> um, all I can tell you that it wasn't going in the provider's favour, so there was no point in sitting around the table with Minister O'Gorman at that point or his team. Why are you, are you, um, there was never going to be resolution. Are you sworn to some no. kind of secrecy? Are you? Um, there was allegations made against the Federation, so um, that's why I don't really want to discuss okay, it on, okay, on okay, okay. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think this has gone beyond Minister Gorman and his department's remit now at this stage. Mm-hmm. This has to go to the Tarnished and the Taoiseach now because we've no choice. We're not getting anywhere with the department. They won't listen. And when you find out this week, we've just found out that any small service, the early childhood care and education services that want to change their services to go up for an extra couple of hours or maybe turn it into full time. They've now been told that their fees are capped at four euros and 60 cent an hour. So that's four no incentive. Four sixty an hour? Four sixty an hour per child. If you are changing now, if, you've, if you're signed up to core funding and you're changing your service from a three hour service to a five hour service or to an eight hour service, you are now tied in to a fee of four sixty an hour. How are you supposed to pay staff of You can't. We've done the sums on it. I, I categorically believe that the department have got this totally wrong because we've done the sums on it and you, it, you wouldn't even think of opening your doors. You couldn't because it would be a business that was going to fail straight away. A conspiracy theorist might say, Elaine, has been set up to fail. Well, I, I, I'm beginning to think so at this stage, you know what I mean? Because they're asking providers to, to change their hours, but you can't. It's terrible. If you're only going to get 460 an hour, you can't change your business type. This is terrible. This is appalling. Elaine. So are we forcing the small and medium services out? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is this is appalling. It absolutely is appalling. Elaine, thank you very much as always for being with us. Elaine Dunn, a chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. It's a national emergency. A mayor of the county, Frank O'Flynn. Frank, you enter or you attended that meeting last night. Were you aware of how bad the situation was before you heard what was said? Good morning. Um, good morning, PJ. Um, uh, first of all, PJ, um, it was an exceptionally very large, well-attended meeting. 
and it was at 7 o'clock in the Sunday evening, which is rather difficult. And they were from all over Cork County, all over Cork County. And uh, uh, meeting them for in, in excess, well, I, I just dropped the two and a half hours. Uh, I knew some of the issues, but I can tell you one thing, the way that they were explained last night, uh, provider after provider, the, the way they come out, and the one of the ones I was getting, which was frightening, and we have four providers going out of business this year in Cork. Why did that? I'm not saying that thing we're pulling out. However, well, let's leave this service in because it's a vital service, early, early learning and childcare service. It's also the, the school age, uh, the, the, the school age childcare, and early learning is important, very important for child development. Mm-hmm. And there's quite an a- early intervention in special needs. I, I, I'm speaking in particular before five here now in the city, which was just an absolute template for how early early intervention should be done. It's gone. Oh, my own, my own son went to child care provider and it was his happiest days in order. It laid the foundation of going on to school. The child, the son and daughter, the way they look after him, the way they prepare him, and it's very, very important. Early learning is the most important section for a child's development. So, and most and most parents now, husband and wife, are learning. Some are dropping off at 7 o'clock, they're 8 o'clock, they're before school and they're after school. They're providing a necessary service. And without them, where would we be in Ireland today? So, Frank, as mayor of the county and as a very, you know, you're a prominent local politician yourself, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to um, bring it to my next meeting of Cock County Council, where, we, along with my colleagues last night who won attendance, I said we'd bring it to our next meeting, which is the second Monday in September, and I'll put down a motion. And as Elaine said there, I think talking to the Minister uh, um, uh, O'Gorman at the moment, she seems to be getting over. I feel, and I said it now, we're going to bring it to the Taoiseach, bring it to the Taoiseach, and to the Minister for Finance. We're going to uh, bring it to a higher level where people can make decisions. Okay. Also, they're closing, they're closing down for three days, uh, to 26, 27, and 28 of September. I would ask everyone to support them. They're going to Dublin on the, the, the 26th. And I've no doubt I'll get the full support of the 55 members of Cock County Council. And we will send that in an emergency motion to the Tarnister, the, the, the Teacup, and the Minister for Finance. All right. Well, we'll see where it goes from there after that then. Thank you, Mayor of the County, uh, Councillor Frank O'Flynn. 0818969696. As I said, I'll be talking in a minute to Lee. Uh, Lee's young daughter uh, was all set to start at before five happy as the day is long all set to go and it's been pulled from under them and they the parents at before five are now asking questions of the bishop of cork that's an interesting one isn't it i'll be talking to lee in a wee while join the conversation email opinion at 96fm.ie this is the opinion line with pj coogan Cork's 96 fm since the before five story broke last week uh, donna was on with me uh, the first morning after we've had loads not donna cambridge we had loads of other parents contacting us to try to find out what is actually going on because when all these things happen story breaks place closes everyone's left totally in the lurch but no one actually knows what is happening Uh, among those is you uh, Lee Uh, your little girl was all set to start in in before five in the next couple of weeks yeah morning Good morning, PJ. Yes, we did. We had everything in place from aim support to the date she would start, what room she would be in, 
how long she would be in there starting off as we're waiting an autism assessment. So she was going to start off being in there every day from 1 till 2.45. She had dates set for September for the AIMS support worker to come out and assess her. She had dates set by the CDNT to assess her in the preschool for her autism assessment. We had everything in place and we're after being left with nothing and no placements to back it up or to try and get into. And getting her into the school, all the paperwork all fell into place? It did. I actually went in two days after having a time select me to get the AIM support forms filled in as there was a deadline to have them in in time for her to get it for this year. So I went in, I ensured that all the forms were filled out. I had forms sent out to me then weeks later that I again filled in and handed back in in around the end of July, just before the closing date and handed out into someone in the office and we were left with nothing. And did anybody at any time say to you, look, Lee, we might have a problem in September, no? No, absolutely nothing. As far as we knew, up until Wednesday evening, she was starting two weeks' time and that was it. It was all set to go. Um, she would have a few weeks where she probably wouldn't have an AIM support worker until there was someone out to assess her and assess the level of support she'd need while she was there. But other than that, no, we had no inclination at all that they wouldn't be going in or that there would even be a possibility that they might close. Now, I'm listening to your story and it's in a way it's like Donna's story. It's like other people who called us last week with their story. People have been properly left in the lurch here with a text message in the middle of the afternoon. There are many questions have arisen among the parents and I know that you wanted to detail a few of them. Yes, so there is. With regards to when they knew it was going to go into liquidation, why we couldn't have been told sooner, as I'm sure it's not just something that happened in the last two weeks that they couldn't have given us more notice especially those of us with kids with additional needs and disabilities we're finding it very difficult to get places we can't get a straight answer whether there is a possibility that a new board of trustees could come in and take it over there was originally talks that they were looking for a coordination manager that's the staffing problem that they have but the staff were told that that wasn't an issue that that was sorted Mm So we have no answers. We don't know what we're meant to do. We don't know, is there a possibility in a few weeks' time that they will open under a new group? We have been told nothing. Now, there's another thing, Lee, with regard to where this premises sits. Explain to me, it's owned by the church, is that right? Yeah, so the church leased out the land originally 50 years ago as an initiative for parents to be able to get out to work, to have somewhere to send their kids to school. The Before Fives is a crash, it's a preschool. It also has after-school clubs. It has workshops for adults, different, everything for the community. They have bereavement counselling. They have everything. So that was originally given by the church to get people back to work at the time. And so the parents would have someone that they could rely on to send their kids to school. So the Diocese of Cork owns the land. The bishop might have a say in this. Have you tried to contact Bishop Gavin or his office? We have tried. um, Multiple people have tried and haven't seemed to be able to get in contact at the moment. Now we don't know if it's just a matter of coming into the weekend or what, but we're hoping we can get a word from the bishop and find out what is their stance or if they have any say with regards to what happens with the before five. What do you want to ask him? I personally would like to know Will the lease be able to be continued if it is still continuously owned by the church? Would it be able to have a new board of trustees come into place and have a smooth transition where we could 
have the before fives continue open in time. The staff have said they will go in and clean. We have no problem helping staff go in and clean to ensure that the kids get the placements that they need and that families aren't left suffering because it's not just the kids. It's 150 plus families that won't have somewhere to send their kids when they're going to work. It's not just a matter of kids not having placements. It's going to affect the wider community. And with regards to work, people won't be able to go out to work if they have nowhere to send their child and get a placement. We're nearly into September. Most, if not all, places are full. As a group of parents, you're calling on Bishop Gavin to come and meet you. Is that it? Yeah. If he could come and meet us, we would greatly appreciate it. Tomorrow would be a great day when everybody's out for the protest to show a bit of community support. It would be fantastic if you could come out. I'm looking at my social media all weekend, Lee. That's going to be a huge event. We're trying to make it as big as possible, to make as much noise as possible so that people see that the before fives isn't somewhere that can just go. Like the community isn't going to be able to just continue if the before fives is closed and just continue on with our lives. It's not that simple. It has been a part of the community for years and years. My uncle would have went there 47, 48 years ago. So it, it's it's not something that can just be given up so easily. Yeah. Here last week, I was amazed, first of all, to realise how long it had been there and then the number of people they went there as children. Like, this is a place that has heritage, it has legacy, it has history. It does, definitely. And it can't just be lost due to a liquidation and lack of funding. Hmm. We could surely help find the funds from somewhere. The staff are willing to work. We are willing to help them as much as we possibly can. Yeah, tomorrow at the premises at one o'clock is when the protest is on. Lee, you're holding it together nice and handy for me, but I imagine there have been a couple of sleepless nights since last Wednesday. Beyond sleepless nights, it, it has been heartbreaking. I had rang a school, I had been offered a place on Thursday for my daughter and when yeah. they heard she wasn't taller trained, that was whipped from underneath us to get straight away and that's what we're facing with my daughter who has additional needs, it's not as simple as just putting her into another placement because, again, it's finding a suitable place for her. We can't travel long distances and as when she's having a bad day, it won't be worth her time going in because she'll have been so wound up for so long to get there and to do the same then coming home each day. It's just not a feasible option. We need somewhere within the community that is suitable for her needs. You know I can empathise as a parent myself of, of a youngster with additional needs. Everything is stressful. Everything is. And once we finally, like my daughter has been diagnosed with insomnia. She sleeps three hours a night at most nights. So having somewhere that we thought that we could rely on that would be able to support her and support the needs that she has and for it to be gone so suddenly with so much as uh, we wish you the best there is no future when we can't get the education that she needs and the support that she needs and the support we need as a family. It's so important to get them a good start. Like, it's so important. It is. It is. Early intervention is almost non-existent in this country and to have got it for her and to lose it, is it's devastating. And from what I'm hearing, Lee, again, from yourself now and from, from Donna last week and others who've been contacting me, like, this is kind of early intervention as it's supposed to be done. Yes, it is. It is. We couldn't. I've, honestly, I spent seven months trying to find a suitable placement and we couldn't find anywhere more suitable with regards to aims, travel, the people that work there. They are just honestly so caring. And you know, like there's 150 plus kids inside there and they all would know the kids' faces are even known by names and know their parents. And that's a lot because they're all, they're 14 staff members to 150 plus kids. 
and to know people that are coming in and out every day is a fantastic thing and it's it's something that you don't get very often. No, it doesn't grow on trees. No, definitely not. So lastly, Lee, to wrap up again, you as one parent, but you're speaking, I think, for many more, you're asking Bishop Finton Gavin to come and meet you and preferably come to the event tomorrow. Preferably, if he could. We'd love to see the support for us all and to know that we're not doing it all on our own because it was the church that origin, oh, sorry, originally set out the initiative for parents to be able to back, go back to work and I'd like to see him support that and continue that so parents can continue to work and kids can continue to get the support that they need. Lee, you have a good day and best of luck. You too, PJ. Thank you very much. You're more, you're more than welcome. We sent an email this morning. I, I'm not sure we've had a response as yet, <clears throat> but we did send an email from the Opinion Line office this morning to the office of uh, Bishop Finton Gavin uh, outlining uh, what the parents are looking for and outlining what the parents want them to do. So far, there has been no response. That's not saying they won't. We've also invited Bishop Gavin to take an interview on the opinion line or at least to issue us with a statement. Uh, so we will see. We will see what happens over the, the coming hours. The, the event, the protest, the demonstration, whatever you want to call it, is tomorrow at one o'clock at before five. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969 9696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96FM. Yeah, I, we mentioned the uh, Rubiales story during the first hour. I got a couple of messages in this morning. I. I'll come back to them. I'll come back to them. I think a lot of people, a lot of men defending him and saying it happened in the moment and and she didn't, like John and Cove says, she didn't even flinch. Well, how could she in the split second that it happened, John? But you've got a 47-year-old man grabbing a 33-year-old woman and planting a smacker full on the lips in public view, in view of the world in 2023. Not okay. It's not okay. He needs, at very least, I would have thought, to apologise to her uh, for uh, overstepping the mark. If he wants to kiss her, kiss her on the cheek, for pity's sake. Do you know? If he knows her well enough to be entitled to do that. But I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. 0818 96 96 96, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96mm.ie. Back to the shortage of childcare, the crisis in childcare, the fact that four businesses have closed, including uh, the all-important one that's uh, prime on our minds at the moment, and that is before five uh, up in uh, Churchfield. And that protest is tomorrow at one o'clock up at the centre. Uh, Gary O'Brien is chair of the board of the Balancholic Family Resource Centre. Those are fairly shocking debts, Gary. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Good, good. You were at the meeting last night. And you want to talk about the financial realities? Yeah, I went to the meeting last night. Um, I just heard it on, on on the radio yesterday that it was happening. So it was just by luck. And I, I turned up. But I suppose what, what the stark reality was that the private sector and the community voluntary sector, there's no disparity between what's occurring between both service providers. Insofar as that, like, we have a projected deficit of 80 odd thousand for this year if we can't um, hire staff 
Um, we weren't able to open rooms last year because of not being able to recruit staff. Um, and this year we're, we're, we're ambitious to think that we can, but right now, as we start the week of the new uh, school year, we're not sure what services we can provide as of yet because we don't have the staff um, to fill the rooms. You're already carrying debt into the new year as well, are you? We are, yeah. So, like, as, as Elaine said earlier, like, getting the EWSS took a bit of pressure off us um, during COVID, but I know before before that came in, we were running at a bit of a loss, and if, if you fast forward three years, I don't know where we would be today as a provider if we didn't get that uh, mm. subsidy from the government. Um, but definitely we're, we're, we'd be running at a loss. Uh, and I suppose what we do have, like the, as Elaine alluded to, was it's core funding and staff retention mm-hmm. and, and hiring of staff is the two biggest challenges that we face. Um, the, the funding just doesn't cover um, st- good staff conditions in terms of if someone's coming in, they're coming in for a 38 week contract, they can't get a mortgage, the pay rate isn't at, at level par with other um, industries. And the, the fear coming in every day from, <clears throat> I know within our childcare service, that our staff going to leave to go to a different discipline, given that it's an employee's market mm-hmm. at the moment. And then do we close rooms? Are we over? Um, race yod within rooms to try and avoid that if someone does leave we can keep the door open and I suppose given that we are in the community and voluntary sector we don't just necessarily provide a childcare service in the silo we provide full wraparound family support services in so far as that there's therapy available to the children there's family support workers available to the families um, so, it, so it is a full wraparound but if we don't have the children attending, then it's coming at a cost because we're, we can't hire staff. There's also the, the matter which has been raised by more than one person, in, 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 including Elaine, Gary, and that is the, 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 the level of regulation that you have to comply with now just to keep the doors open. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we would have a full-time dedicated childcare manager, plus we've had to hire an admin support to support the manager in the admin, and that's only one aspect of it. But then within the regulations, no, I'm not saying regulations aren't welcome. No. But it's it's over-regulated insofar as that it can kind of catch you on different things that are immaterial to the, to the world of childcare practice. For example, just for the benefit of people who wouldn't know. Oh, um a tap might have to be a different style or, you know, the coating. I, I just know of one report that the coating on on the the side of a tap was, um, some of it was scraped and it needed to be changed. Oh, um, like things like that, that aren't related to childcare practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're facing that as well, you know. And that's a cost involved in that. Then you got to get a plumber, get a tap, get it done. And- yeah. So, so we've had four, according to Elaine, go out of business, even in the last couple of weeks. I think there's there's more to come. Would you think? Well, yeah, that meeting last night, hearing stories um, from from providers was was harrowing. In so far as that, there was quite upset in the room. In that some people, some of them don't know will they be able to open their, keep their doors open past Christmas. Um, I, 
And I, I, I just don't know that the general public realise um, the background in the childcare that people think, oh, they're getting money from the government, so that's it sorted. But some of the providers last night were saying that they're 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 finding it hard to sleep. They're they're coming home. They're trying to find creative solutions to try and keep their doors open, and that they're already kind of nearly burnt out going in. Starting like we're starting the season, the school season today, and they're burnt out going into it already. Well, the, the stress of it. Um, the stress of it. And one provider even talking about having to bring their baby into the into work with them after just giving birth like that's you wouldn't get that in any other no industry wouldn't be allowed to happen. No, no 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 but they've had to to try and keep their doors open yeah yeah Gary thank you Gary is chair of Gary O'Brien chair of the board of Ballincollig Family Resource Centre they're up to their eyes in debt even as they open the door to commence a new term got some more people coming on to do with this. Your thoughts, particularly if you are someone who wants, is sending their child to a centre like this, a centre that might be closed for strike action at the end of September. How do you feel about that? You may have to take time off work because of that. Now, does it annoy you? Does it bother you? Or are you completely in support of it because of the the mess that is the early childcare, early education sector. Avril Sheehan from Carrot Childcare. Um, Avril, like the it's the burnout. People are are already, according to Gary, there already burnt out before they even open the doors for the new term. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Um, absolutely, providers are to burn out, and it was very apparent last night at the meeting. One lady was crying. You know, within that group, as in she's due her baby in four weeks' time and the thoughts of her having to bring in her newborn baby with herself into the centre because she can't get staff, she can't. You know, it's just a nightmare. I'm advertising with the last five weeks Mm. and I got one CV from a girl in Zimbabwe. So where are we going and what are we going to do? And I'm trying to accommodate a little boy here in my centre that's after coming from one of the centres that's after closing down. His mom is travelling a 100 kilometres round trip to get him sorted here with me. Now, per I'm day. Totally booked, uh, that's per day. Good God. And to carry on her working day. That's 100 kilometres. Now, the cost of that alone. Now, this little boy had a lot stacked against him because not only would he be requiring his ECC place, but he's also a child with disabilities. So he needs an AIM support worker. And so the odds were stacked against her. Now, I'm allowed to take 15 children upstairs in my preschool room. I never do because I'm regulated that one toilet for every 11 children and I've only one toilet. So I said to that lady, I said, I have a disability toilet downstairs, whether it'll pass regulations or not, I'll have to find out. I said, if I can get a staff member, you are more than welcome to that place. So she was thrilled. She was delighted, got all excited. And I said, don't get too excited now because I have to get a staff member first. So I advertised, got the one CV. Then I went and I poached a girl. She came for the interview, um, offered her the job the following day on the Tuesday morning. She accepted on the Tuesday evening. And then on Wednesday, I rang that mom and I said you have a place your son can rock up this morning which is our starting for our preschool here in Kerala and she started crying thank you so much thank you so much you don't realise I have to fight so hard for him and it's really wearing and all the rest of it and 
and that staff member texted me on the Wednesday night and said, my boss is after offering me three euro more, so I'm going to stay where I am. Oh, no. Now, PJ, as a childcare worker, it's not in my heart to turn around to that mom and say, I can't give your son a place. So now I'm having to take my manager out of the office and put her in as a support worker with that little boy. So then I'm up to 90. You know, I'm already under pressure and overwhelmed. Yeah. And then when this happened, I literally was inside in bed with my husband crying in his arms saying, what am I going to do? Where am I going to get a staff member? Oh my God, now it's putting pressure on all the other staff that are here. Now it's putting pressure on everyone and I'm afraid I'm going to lose my good girls that I have. Mm. And it is just all that stress, all that stress. And I don't think parents realise how stressed we are because like any business, you put on your happy face, ready Mm. to go, hi guys, welcome, come on in, you know. And yes, we are really stressed, very stressed. And that was, you know, the general consensus last night. And it was very interesting to see, you know, the councillors and the TDs and stuff. And they think they didn't realise how bad it was. That it's a system that's obviously broken. But no one's listening to us. And it's going to come to the three-day closure, which we're hoping to do on the 26th. And we'll go and protest outside Leinster House. But we have to be heard. Like, we are the backbone. We all saw it over COVID. When the childcare centres closed down, there was just chaos. Yes, there was. Absolute chaos. So if we're not there, and if we're not there to support, and there's so many centres, there's three main common denominators, I think, why it's not working. The funding is... The number one because we're not being funded correctly so then we can't pay our staff correctly then they don't want to go into the sector so funding is a huge thing the administration like as I said last night I don't mind doing the administration if I get goddamn papers yeah, I know what you mean you know what I mean? Like, as in, I really don't mind doing it. And there is a lot, as I said before, I'm a 50 place centre. And before, I would only do about six hours paperwork in the week. Now I'm employing a full time manager and myself alongside of her to keep on top of that. Do you know, the, and a lot of that I suspect is down to regulation. You mentioned there a minute or two ago about trying to get the, disab- the, the disabled toilet past and not being able to mm. use your full complement upstairs because it's got to yes. be one one toilet to 11 children. Like, have we got to a point, and no one is suggesting, no one is suggesting that we would go back to the old days where you just rammed all the children into a room and sat there talking Absolutely. to them. No one. But have we gotten to a point, everyone know who we are or you are, over-regulated? It is over-regulated. I do believe the regulations are there and I do welcome those regulations and stuff. I think they can be very, you know, like for me there, I can take an extra 15 children upstairs and it's the same outside my preschool one. I can take an extra five out there, but I've only one toilet in each room. Now I have a toilet downstairs, a disabled toilet in the main building and it's used for staff purposes and will say for the disabled child if I have one that needs to use it. But I'm not allowed since any child out of either of the two parade school rooms if we're out in the playground and the nearest toilet is that toilet. So Why, why on earth not? No, because it's a staff toilet slash disabled toilet oh, and I'm actually breaking Jesus the law by letting God. a child they'd prefer that child to go upstairs, up two flights of stairs 
into a preschool room on their own and go to the toilet upstairs than actually run five feet in from the playground to use that toilet. So that, to me, is ridiculous. It does, like, that's stupid. You know what I mean? Let us use the toilet. And I know it's a small thing, but, you know, there was another regulation, and I'll give you a funny one. This will tell you now how complex and how stringent. I, I'm using the wrong word. You know, the regulations oh, are. Okay, you're fine. So I, know you're I had one of the inspectors come in and inspect my service, and there was a toy brush and dustpan on the floor. Okay. But in, in regulation-wise, we can't have brushes on the floor. You know, the brush that we brush up the floor after dinner or whatever. Yeah. That cannot be on the floor for cross-contamination. It has to be on a hook up off the floor okay. or in a press up off the floor. Okay. Just happened, the kiddies love brushing the floor with us, so their toy set was on the floor. There was murder over that in the centre. <sighs> like, it was breach regulation, cross-contamination. That shouldn't be on the floor. I said, it's the children's toy brush and pen. And I fought them on it. And I caused hassle over it. And I sent, I went above the inspector's head and I was like, this is just gone ridiculous. That's Crazy. just so wrong. It is. But I just think there is burnout. People are really stressed. Over the summer when ECC services are supposed to be off, they're getting emails from the department. And it's all deadlines. It's like, do it now. But if we're looking for something and clarity in relation to any of the contracts or in relation to any of the schemes we're on, we have to submit an inquiry. It'll be dealt with in their own time. And then usually you get back, your inquiry has been dealt with, identification number, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no one got back to me. We've no number to ring to get on to somebody personally, as in to talk to them. It's all dr- done through the internet, you know, as in emailing and, yeah, larger complaints and everything. So it's wrong, and it's like we don't have our paperwork completed in time. Uh-huh. We don't get paid for our funding. Avril, other, than, other than the fact that you're probably heavily invested in it and love it to bits, why do you even bother? PJ, I would get out of it in the morning, right? And as I said to my husband, if I converted the main crash into a two up, two down, the lodge into a one bedroom self compartment and the other building as well, it's like a lodge as well, you know, a wooden building. I said I'd actually take in more money by renting them out. But I have invested, like last year alone, I put in a new playground into the centre. Now, granted, I bought it off Dundee, but it cost me four and a half thousand from a mobile home park down in Wexford that we went down in the pouring rain and had to horse into the back of a trailer. Don't get me wrong. It is my business. Obviously, I want it to be the best business, you know, the best childcare centre that I can possibly be, do, you know. But and, and I don't mind putting in the hours. But now it's the fact you're getting 11 cents an hour for doing paperwork from the department. Like, I didn't get into business. And don't get me wrong, I don't think, I think providers are very shy in saying, I got into business and became an entrepreneur to make money. And I, I have no crime in saying that. Like, Absolutely. you don't go to work and you make a few pounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. the exact thing. Just because I'm caring for your child doesn't mean I don't want to make some money out of it. Of course So it's at the stage now, there's no money to be made in it. But I have invested, so like, thousands thousands of pounds and like even this year I couldn't afford to get the crash painted and I went into my local um, co-op and I said have you any paint I said that's in the blind or that you know was mixed up and that you know no one came or they didn't want to take it and she was like yeah no problem and she went in and brought out a trolley load of paint for me and she was like you are you particular in the paint choice that you want and I was like it's a crash really anything goes there's no problem (laughs) but it's gone to that like we have a wall going up the stairs we call it the gallery wall and obviously we like you know display all the kids you know artwork and what they're doing and space week and all the rest of it so when we take that down the end of June pieces of chipped paint come off 
And that's like a major regulation hazard because the children could chip, the, you know, take the paint off of their finger and ingest it. So that's a major no-no. You have to paint that wall every year. And you know yourself, get a painter. He's 150, 200 euro a day. Paint on top of it. But yes, if, if you can get a flipping painter. If you can get it. Yeah. And in eight weeks' time, though, that wall is going to be covered in arse again. I know. So it's eight weeks that that wall is on view with, like, it's not nice. I do agree it's not nice, as in I don't particularly like myself, but it's ridiculous having to paint it. Yeah. So then it comes back, you can't get the painter, you know, and you end up doing it in yourself at weekends, and we feel just Lastly, you had quite a number of politicians there last night. Michael Collins, TD, Seamus, Councillor Seamus McGrath was there. There was quite a political turnout. What is the Eileen hope Lynch, from Provide? Eileen Dawson. Right. Um, they were all there. Um that again, sorry, I missed the question. Well, what is the hope now that having the t- having had the TDs in the room, having and the and the, and the councillors, having had them listen to you, what do you want them to do now? We want them to support us and to get the Minister Roger Gorman to listen to us. He's very cold towards us. Um, communications have kind of broken down between the Federation and the Minister, which is an awful pity. I do think that he really needs to talk to the people on the group. He's listening to an expert group giving him advice. And what I only found out recently was there's no financial advisor on that group or or consultation and there is no business owner. Now, the academics know how a business runs in theory but they don't know how it runs on a daily basis. So I would like, you know, that to be looked at, you know, the advisors. That is a good overall rounded advisory group. Um, I'd like them to support the motion, obviously, what Frank O'Flynn said there earlier on that we put forward and give to Frank to bring in, you know, on the 11th of September. But we need their help. We need them to question Minister O'Gorman. We need them to question the department and ask, where is that money gone? We want, we've asked the Tarnish's office for a detailed accounts report on where the money and where it's being spent and all the rest of it. We still haven't got that. We have asked for that. So why aren't we being given that? We should have a right to see where the money is distributed and where it's gone into. What okay. section? Okay, going to leave it there for today. I've no doubt we'll talk again. Avril Sheen from Carolot, uh, early childhood providers. I think laying cards very firmly on the table. But just look at that for regulation. She's got a disabled toilet that would be maybe five foot away from where some of the children might be playing or being taught or whatever you do. She can't let a child use that toilet because it's a disabled toilet and it's a staff toilet. Like, give me a flipping break. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. We can come back to the childcare uh, issue. Uh, if you wish to do so. How is this service, Kevin asks, how is this service treated in other countries? Spain, Scandinavia. The sooner it's treated like education, the better. Listening to this, it sounds like the state is trying to fund it on the cheap. That's being kind, uh, Kev. Uh, I hope that Thomas Gould, Mick Barry and Colin Burke will bring more than words to this situation. I'm assuming this refers to before five because it's their constituency. I hear they're working on it, but I don't think they're as active on this as they're on other issues. I certainly have, haven't heard them speak on it. Well, Mick Barry, to be fair, was doing some uh, social media stuff over the weekend. I think there was a, I think I saw Thomas Gould's picture taken up there as well. They're, they're, they're definitely across it. They, they would be idiots not to be across it. 
but we'll see what happens with it over the next while. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I have, on occasions, been gently accused of mansplaining to somebody. I, I genuinely have no idea what that is. Okay? So I'm going to have to get told, I'm going to have to have it explained to me what mansplaining is, because apparently it's not a nice thing to do. But if you don't know you're doing it, you don't recognize you're doing it, then how the hell can you stop doing it? Have you ever been, like, Geraldine Herbert, you've been talking about this rather a lot uh, of late. Uh, This is from the Sunday Independent. Would you mind telling me, Geraldine? I've been accused of it, but I've no idea what it is. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, I, I, to be honest, I think it's one of these terms that gets bandied about. Nobody's quite sure exactly what it is. Um, I wrote about it recently and what I was writing about and my definition, and I think kind of the standard definition of mansplaining is it's explaining information to women that, number one, they didn't ask for. That's the key thing, PJ. And number two, they didn't need. So it's not just, I mean, it's, it's not just explaining something. It's not just giving information. It's, you know. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It wasn't required and it wasn't asked for and it wasn't needed. But I think the thing to remember is women do it to women, men do it to men, men, but predominantly it's done to women by men and hence where the term came from. So if, if someone in the workplace asked me to show them how to use this new piece of software and I gently oh, guide yeah, that, them through fine. it, that's not mansplaining, yeah. no, no. So what, no, no, that's what, not man's. Mansplaining is assuming that, as assuming that the person you're giving the information to, number one, wants to hear it, not that they've asked for it now, but you've decided to give them this information. And secondly, you think they need it, even though they don't. So that's, um, that's really the kind of standard definition of it. Do you come across much? I mean, you write about motoring and you test cars. You're driving a different car every week, you lucky thing. And you, and you test motor. You test, do you come across it in that line of work? Yeah, I get it all the time. I mean, it's something I actually, particularly on Twitter and on social media, and it's something I have just got used to. And I didn't even notice it, to be honest, more than anything. But it was my editor in Life magazine who said to me, you know, there's an article in that because you just you deal with it all of the time. And as I said, it happens to me so regularly, I almost just brush it off. Now, sometimes you really do notice it. But the point, I suppose, of writing the article was to see do other women experience the same. And what I discovered, really, it's mainly women working in what we kind of consider male domains. So women who work maybe sports journalism or tech or stuff like that really, really do get treated online very differently to men. I see, I see. Give me an example, if you could, of, of, of how it, now obviously don't, don't name anyone and get any, any of us in trouble, but give me an example, if you could, of, of how it would happen to you in your line of work. Well, I mean, in my line of work, it happens and anything from I could say that I I could tweet out that I'm going on radio this evening to talk about why petrol prices are going up. And some helpful man will come back to me and explain to me why petrol prices are going up. I mean, you think to yourself, well, why didn't the radio station contact you? That's a trivial thing, but that happens all the time. Explains it very Um, well, 
What's that? It, it, it explains it very well. You volunteer. Yeah. Someone is volunteering information that you didn't, you didn't want. I didn't need it on. The, another one which I actually used in the article that I wrote was um, Zoe Kleinman is the BBC technology editor. And I actually yes. got to know Zoe on Twitter because of mansplaining. We compared our own experiences. And she set up an experiment with a male colleague to confirm that her suspicion that women are being treated differently online. And basically, the two of them treated the same information, but just worded slightly different. Now, all his replies were supportive and all of hers were negative. You know, so, I mean, there's exactly the same information coming from two BBC colleagues. And yet, because one is male and one is female, they're treated, the information is treated completely different. You come back to the term itself. You did say women do it to women, men do it to men, men do it to women, women. But it's, it's, it's become, it's kind of a thing. So come back to the piece of software. And this happens all the time in here. New bits of software drop into the system, you know, as, as, as frequently as the rain drops. And you have to figure out how to work it and get going on it. And you could, you'd be asked, how, how do you use that? That's not, that, that is okay. How do you use that? What do I do here? But telling them the whole workings of the computer... That is mansplaining. Oops. Oops. We gone? You there, Geraldine? Oh, the line just dropped in the middle of it all. Have you ever been, have you ever been mansplained? I have been accused of it. I have a kind of a notion now of what, what they mean by it. Um, a kind of a notion. Uh, I may occasionally do it out of just wanting to be overhelpful. Or maybe not. Maybe assuming, or yeah, assuming the person doesn't already know the basics, and giving them lessons in the basics that they already know might be another example too. A journey. Come back to that. So the thank you. You're back again. The I'm back. <laughs> good, good, good. The the idea that I would be asked about the the new software by a colleague and then begin to break down the whole computer in a way they didn't ask for. Correct. Yeah, but I mean, I still think when, when there's an issue around something that needs an explanation, then that's not the same. I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind about mansplaining, no matter who you're talking to, is first of all, ask yourself the question, did this person ask for this information? And secondly, do they have less knowledge on it than you do? You know, do the do they need it explained? And I think once you keep that in mind, it's not very complex. I mean, look, everybody should be helping out everybody. And if somebody asks for information on something great, and you shouldn't be concerned that it's going to be perceived as this. Mansplaining is very, very different, really. Mm, yeah, I mean, having, as I said in the introduction, having been accused of it and not being fully sure what it was, then you're kind of saying, well, I can't stop doing it if I don't know what. But thank you, you've been very, you've been very helpful in that regard, and I will, I will check myself, shall we say? I have explained it to you now, PJ, I hope. <laughs> but you have very well, and thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Geraldine, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. 0818969696. Geraldine Herbert, who writes for motoring in the Sunday Indo, and her own website is wheelsforwomen.ie. Yeah. It happens. I'm told it happens all the time. I'm told I'm not the worst. I have been told I'm not the worst. Um, which. Probably phrase, I don't know. Oh, he won eight ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. Right, let's look at this Ruby Alley's story. Because um, I, I got to say, I'm I'm on the page with with Jenny Hermoso here. So you'll remember the World Cup final where uh, Spain beat England, and during the prize giving ceremony afterwards, um, Ruby Alley's from like the if you like the. Spanish FAI, let's call it that. 
planted a big slobbery kiss on the lips of Jenny Hermoso. The striker, now it happened in a split second, she has now said he had did not have my consent to do that. He didn't have any right to do that. There are calls for him to step down because of that. It was inappropriate, it was out of the way. Shouldn't have done it. He's 40, 47 years of age, she's 33. There's absolutely no connection between them that would merit uh, such a gesture, shall we say. I would have said if he wanted to kiss her, kiss her on the cheek and then kiss all the other girls on it, if he wants to, and if they're okay with it. But when you see the, the thing freeze-framed into a picture, you realise, no, 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 You can't do that. You can't do that. There were times when you'd consider it harmless, but no, it's not harmless anymore, and men should know better. In, in, in the modern world. But now the players are saying that unless he resigns, they won't line out again for their country, having just won the World Cup. John says, I've been following it and I feel very sorry for him. He's been scapegoated. The man was carried away with the victory and just responded out of delight. Is it a Me Too moment? Give me a break. I wonder if the English had won and it happened there, would they have had the same reaction? They'd be so delighted to finally have victory. Everyone will be kissing everyone. Yeah, it's not on the lips, John. Not on the lips. They are out of bounds. I think it's been blown out of all proportions as John and Cove. If you look at the video, Jenny Hermosi didn't push him away or resist or anything. She didn't even flinch. Well, it was in a split second. She didn't have an opportunity to flinch. Also, I think the English team, who are making a big deal out of it, should mind their own business instead of commenting on it. They're just deflecting from a very poor performance when it counted. Well, I won't argue with you there. And Anne says, regarding the Spanish lady footballer who was so... I think Anne's tongue is in her cheek. Who was so brutally assaulted, degraded, attacked, mortified, humiliated, embarrassed. Shall I continue? Or is the sarcasm evident? In the name of sanity, she got a two-second kiss on the mouth. Big deal. I wouldn't mind if that gorgeous Spanish man had kissed me on the mouth. This will provide more fuel now for the feminazis. Olay. <sighs> you see, Anne? Okay, Jenny Hermoso is 33. Um, she's a little bit older than my daughter. But let us imagine that that was my daughter up there getting a World Cup medal. I would be, of course, I would be incredibly proud. But if this man to whom she had no personal connection other than he was president of the Soccer Association, came up and planted a smacker on her lips without warning in front of a crowd of people, in front of the world's television. I'd, 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 I'd be put out, shall we say. Very put out. 0818 96 96 96. You just don't do lips. Imagine, okay... Bring it into a workplace scenario, right? It's somebody's birthday or someone has won a big competition or won an award or something. Would you walk up to a work colleague and smack them full on the lips because they'd won something or had a particularly good news? Whatever, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's just not done. It's not what you do. Sorry, Mr. Ruby Alice, you at least owe the woman an apology on the preschools and the situation with preschools and creches and funding and all of that. Bernie says parents will have to start looking after children again themselves at home like the old days. 
Whether it's the man or the woman who stays at home, it simply needs to happen until children are at school and at of school going age. Families will just have to soak it up and tighten their belts for a few years. My mother raised us with very little money, says Bernie. It's a take, Bernie. I'm not too sure it'll be a popular one, but it's a take. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. What do you agree with, Bernie? Yes, our parents and parents before them raised small children on very little money. It was possible then to raise small children on an awful lot less than it costs to raise them now, is the only thing I would say in response. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 now, Valerie, you have become homeless in the very recent days. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Sorry to hear about this. When when did you become homeless? Last Thursday, the 17th. Okay. And you had adequate notice and all that? I had, yeah. Um, I, got about, I got six months notice, so... Okay, okay. Yeah. And your landlord is giving the house to family or something, is it? Um, he's moving into it himself. That's what he said on his on my eviction notice, oh. and I got it all clarified by threshold and everything. Okay. So it's above board. All above board. So, so where are you now? Cork City, near the UCC homeless accommodation. Okay. And how did you get that? I had to go into the council office in Mallow last Thursday after I handed back my key to declare myself homeless with my two children. And they gave me a piece of paper with the details of here, and I was to come up here, and I'm here since. Is it a nice place? What's it like? What have you got? What, what facilities um, have you? It's like a little bed set, you know. If it, it would be ideal for a single person, you know. Um, it's got a single bed and double bed. Mm. There's like a little couch, and there's a little press. There's a cooker very, with two rings. There's a fridge, right. kettle. Right. Down on Mardyke area, Mardyke yes. Parade, yeah. Mardyke Parade, yeah. No, look, it is what it is. It, it, it sounds cluttered. Very. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the three of us are in the one room, you know, yeah. a five-year-old, a 15-year-old and mammy, like, yeah. it's not ideal. No, no. Now, you would like, obviously, to get closer to Charleville. Yes. You're already trying. Yes, I am. That's correct. I've, like, contacted auctioneers. I've looked up houses that I knew that were being renovated and approached the owners. I've contacted every auctioneer in the town on daft. You don't even hear back, you know. There's nothing. You know, I've had a girl from the homeless help helping me and she to, she got me two apartments but both of them fell through. Yeah. You know, she tried. Yeah. You know, they are trying to help me like in, in the homeless app. I happen to know that New Two Potters, it's, it's a place I happen to know well there are vacant places there. You're trying to get one of them even. They have homeless accommodation there as well. and But apparently it's full at the moment. Yeah. If I could even get moved down there for now, it would make it much more feasible to, to get the kids to school. Yeah. My whole life is on hold, PJ. Like, you know, it's like, this is my life. This isn't a joke. Like, And I'm not going to be the only person that's going through this. Oh. Like, I mean, none of the TDs are doing anything for me. They're saying they're trying, but I don't understand what they're doing because nothing is happening. Now, you had six months' notice. Mm. You didn't just start looking yesterday. No. Mm. God, I was looking from the day I got my notice. I mean, it's been like, an, it's like I've been a noose around my neck 
for like months. And once you get that eviction notice, like you don't feel the home is yours anymore anyway. Yeah. Someone else um, said that to me recently. You, yeah. you lose all mass in it. You do. You lose all interest, you know, totally, you know. Uh, I mean, just, I'm heartbroken, like, I mean, my life isn't in Cork City. You know, my life is in Charleville, like, my kids, that's where they have their friends. Are they this going to school there? To me. They're going to school in Charleville. Josh is going back tomorrow. And then um, Ray is starting next Wednesday. How are you going to get them there? You drive, do you? I do, I drive. Like, it's an old car, but mm. it gets me for me to be, but... It's going to cost a fortune, and I like I don't have that. Like I have plans. Like I have a long term plan. You know, I waited until Ray started school, and then I was going to go back to work for a year, save like crazy, and then go to college next year. You know, I was going to do a psychology course, and like my whole life is on hold. I can't even commit to a job because I don't know where I'm going to be. You know, I want to go back working now, now that she's in school and stuff and reinvent myself and, you know, a new chapter in my life. But I need to have a home for that. Like, I mean, my whole life is destroyed. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. God almighty. People would say, look, she has a roof over her head and a place to sleep with her kids. But that's, that's, it's nowhere near your home. It's nowhere near your people. It's nowhere near your, your circle. No. Like, I've very little support as it is because I'm a single mum on my own in Charleville. I have no family there. You know, I'm there 13 years. And I'm fine with that. Like, you know, I do have a couple of friends that I'm very, very close to, you know. Mm. And the Charleville people in general are so good to me. You know, they are like, they're really supportive of me on this. They think it's a disgrace. How they can, like, home other people and then not home, like, me. Yeah, you have also discovered it's it's public knowledge, that mm-hmm. there are some modular homes being built mm-hmm. near the hotel, near the Charleville Park. Yes, that's correct, yeah. You feel a bit aggrieved that you haven't even got a chance of getting in there. Yes, I do. I feel completely aggrieved. I just can't understand how they can do that and then leave us in the crap, you know? Did you go and inquire about the, the modular homes? Uh, well, I went to that meeting that was on in... Um, in the library right. in Charleville. Oh yes, yeah. and I asked a couple. You know, questions were asked by num- numerous people, and we were fobbed up, called racist, which was horrible, because I'm not a racist person, and mm. neither was anyone that was with me. You're just saying here's 68 homes mm-hmm. being built. I'm about to become homeless. Yeah. Why can't I be considered to one of those? What yeah. answer? And there's you- other bills in the town that aren't even finished yet. They're taking forever, like, and then when they are ready, they're left there for months before they even give them out. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, as it stands, as Charleville has a huge yeah. population of people and a huge traffic issue there. Yeah, I know. You know there's problems with getting doctors. How are they going to yeah. get a doctor here? You know, what, how are the schools going to accommodate them? We've had a few people on, in fact, from Charleville on various issues like the ones you described now over the mm-hmm. last couple of months. It's, it's yeah. a town... It's a town, unfortunately, with, with problems. Uh, you yeah. said that you're fed up of, of begging your local reps to do something. Yeah. They won't do anything for me. You, you don't know Cork. I don't want to know Cork. Cork's a lovely city. Mm. City life is not me. And it's not what I want for my children. Mm. And I should have the right to decide it's their mother. And it must be frustrating to see, like you say, empty new builds and yeah. all these modular homes going up. Uh-huh. And you're living, no disrespect 
to Dyke Parade. You're living in Dyke Parade when, in actual fact, there are vacant buildings, vacant properties. It was said at the meeting um, that day that they weren't suitable for Irish people because Irish people required bigger living space. I'm in a bed sit in Cork with my two children. How is that bigger living space? And I've seen some of these modular homes. They opened a set of beauties. I mean, real beauties down in Mahon lately. They're lovely. They are fantastic, yeah. And it's not fair. Like, I mean, I'm in a building with recovering drug addicts. My daughter is five. She's never seen anything like that. Now, don't get me wrong. They're nice. They're polite. But anything can go wrong, you know? Kids going back to school in the next few days. Mm-hmm. You've a lot of driving ahead of you, Valerie, don't I you? do. I sure do, PJ, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And before anybody comes back on the phone saying, well, the Ukrainians are running for a war and we must look after them, mm-hmm. I think you want to make it very clear, Valerie, you don't begrudge them an inch God, of them. No. no. You're God, just no. You're just saying... They're human beings. Where's my place? Where's my yeah. spot? Like, I'm from here. Like, you you know, get your own house in order before you go helping someone else. You know, if you do it yourself at home, you know, you look after yourself first before you look after anybody else. It's the same principle, is it or not? Like, against anybody, like... I know. You know? A people are people, as far as I'm concerned. Valerie, my words mean mean little or nothing to you, but I, I, I wish you well. I hope it works out for you. I hope someone's listening that can pick up Someone a phone. Because I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Like, no, it's not don't. fair. And I'm not the only one, PJ. Like, no, this is no. the scary part. I know, I know. Valerie, you know? <laughs> if anybody is listening who might be able to help, they can contact me and we'll put them in touch with you. How's that? <laughs> That's perfect. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm a good tenant. I mind my own business. Like, to actually go public about this is totally against me and everything I believe in. Because I'm not, I'm a very private person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't like doing this, but I feel I've no choice. Look after yourself and your lovely kids. Thank you very much, PJ. Bye. Bye, Valerie. You're both welcome. What, what do you say? What do you say to someone in a situation like that? The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 <laughs> FM. Lads, you have to laugh. You have to laugh. Do you know who's gone back to school today? Gone back to school today. Enoch Burke. Enoch Burke is up outside the school this morning with his little bag after his dad drove him there and he's standing outside the school again. He now owes nearly 150 grand in fines. But he's back at school this morning. God almighty. 0818 96 96 96. If you want something good to read today, then pick up an examiner or open the examiner app or grab an examiner from your friend and borrow it for lunchtime, whatever you want to do. Our Trevor. Trevor, there won't be an examiner left in Edward Rolls Road. Our Trevor 
uh, is in the paper today in the culture that made me column. I had the privilege of doing this actually about a year ago myself with Richard Fitzpatrick. He he talks to someone who's slightly well known or more well known uh, every week, and he talks to them about the things that influence the books, the television, the music, the eras. That they, that they loved and today the feature is, is Trevor Welsh and uh, Trevor talks about Muhammad Ali about David Bowie about The Godfather about Tommy Tiernan and many other things besides it's a very entertaining read and it's in today's paper Trevor Welsh of The Score on the culture that made me on Cork's 96 FM we have had a statement has come into us from the Bishop of Cork on the situation with Before Five and I will read it for you in a few minutes but in response to our email to him this morning which was in response to my conversation with Lee I spoke to Lee Birmingham you'll be able to hear that on podcast later she had her little girl all ready to go into Before Five and now the place is gone and she was explaining to me you know the questions that the parents have and she raised the topic of the fact that the diocese of Cork and hence the bishop is responsible for the land on which before five sits and she said they'd love to talk to Bishop Gavin so we sent an email to Bishop Gavin on their behalf early this morning there has been a response and I will read it for you very very soon but for now some parents have expressed concern in recent months about a new curriculum coming down the track um, for SPHE. This is the sort of relationships and social education that kids do in secondary school. And the curriculum is changing. And a lot of people, I think, are half afraid about what might be in it. Now, I got a teaching guide this morning, or over the weekend, I was reading it. It's about a 50 or 60 page guide for teachers as to what is in this curriculum and how they might teach it and how they might bring it into a classroom. And some of the stuff that I have been hearing about people being afraid of that was in this, they're not in it at all. And some of the things that people were afraid would dominate it are barely mentioned. Pam O'Leary is a guidance counsellor and teacher at the Cork Educate Together on Wellington Road. Also doing a postgrad, Pam, in SPHE in, in DCU. And you'll be trained to deliver the new curriculum. The teaching notes that I got and read were yours. I don't see anything in this that I don't wish I was taught when I was 14. Morning to you. <laughs> Morning. Thanks, PJ, for having me on. And I think it's really important. I think a lot of voices have come out on this in the coming months, in the, in the last few months, and the teaching voice has kind of been absent from it. And I, I just felt it was really important to say that I'm teaching it and I know it back and forth. And mm-hmm. um, so there's there's nothing for parents to be worried about in this new curriculum. And in actual fact, it's one of the most researched and consulted curriculums in the Department of Education's history. Mm-hmm. Um, no. It's been very well consulted. Your, your you know, notes, I'm very happy with it. And, and you certainly yeah. should be. The notes that you sent me are a 12, maybe 13 lesson course. And they just go through the topics that, that some of the topics that are covered. So yes. well-being, self-reliance, understanding your mm-hmm. own needs. I was yeah. amazed to see you bring up Maslow there. God, they're teaching Maslow the last 200 years. Um, pro-social behaviour. I only heard mm-hmm. that term. I read that term recently. 
and I had no idea what yeah. it was. And yet it's the most basic behaviour. Yes, you go into a romantic relationship, you talk about boundaries, your rights, responsibilities, yeah. regulating your very all very all very healthy stuff. Yes, and it kind of frustrates me that the you know in the last few months in, in in media coverage and online, there's been a lot of things around pornography and a lot of things around gender identity as being kind of the main um, focus of the curriculum, and that's actually not the truth at all. Um, a lot of the curriculum was based on longitudinal studies of youth mental health and youth education in Ireland over the, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Growing Up in Ireland survey, which surveyed students from primary into secondary and into adulthood. It's been going on for the last 20 years. Yeah, I, I, I read it when the reports come out, yeah. Yeah, so the, a, lot of the inf- a lot of the curriculum is based on what students said that they were missing or what they were lacking or what they felt they needed while they were at school. So like, you know, in terms of the, I know the parents get a bit worried when they hear the word pornography and school, but I, I, what, what I really wanted to, to read out to you, and I think this is really important for, for parents to understand, is that the learning outcome for pornography is discuss the influence of popular culture in the online world, in particular the influence of pornography on young people's understanding, expectations and social norms in relation to sexual expression. That's exactly what the learning outcome is. You know, and it's about safety, it's about care, it's about minding yourself. You know, there's nothing salacious in there at all, which what a lot of people are led to believe, which is completely untrue. The gender section, or at least the teaching notes on the gender section, I read them this morning because I know I've had people bending my ear about this and saying, they're going to be teaching about having 35 genders. No, you're not. It's a page in the teaching notes. Give over here, like. Yeah, and it's it's also like the, the, the learning outcome for that one is uh, looking at how human sexuality, sexual orientation and gender identity are experienced and expressed in diverse ways. Mm-hmm. In other words, understanding that we're all different, understanding that we all have different uh, experiences of living in the world. There's no promotion of any one or the other. It's just making people aware that not everybody is like you. Okay. Might I push you know, back and that's okay. A- could, could I push back a little, Pam, in terms of what yeah. some parents might say? And let's see your take on it then. So sure. a, a parent, mother or father, might say, my youngster is 14. Yeah. I will decide what they learn about sex and diversity. And I will yes. decide when they learn it. I send yes. them to school to learn English, maths, French, history, geography. Mm. And, he, and, and that, yeah. I don't want them learning about sex in school. I'll teach sure. them about that. What's the response there? Well, I, I think that's very personal and very individual to each family, isn't it? Because there's there's religious and cultural concerns and there's different things. But like under under the Education Act, parents have a right to, you know, consult with a school and talk to a school about what's being delivered. And I think the vast majority of parents who consult with the school, talk to the teachers and express their concerns with the school will discover actually that this is quite a deeply caring and safety conscious curriculum Mm -hmm. and isn't really, you know, about spreading the message of sex. It's actually more of spreading the message of good relationships. And people forget about the R part in RSE. They want to focus on the S, but it's actually more about the R. It's about the relationships between people and how we take care of each other. And that's what the curriculum is all about. I would have said too, Pam, how you mind yourself and how you recognise that something is right. You know, I said to you there when I was bringing you in, I said, look, when I was 14, I would love if people, someone, 
yeah. taught me some of this yeah. stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not going Absolutely. to say where or when now, but I can remember in school, one mm. individual teacher. And when I look back on it now, many years hence, even though that individual teacher never did anything out of the way around me or any of my close mm. friends, we were being groomed. Absolutely, we were being groomed. Yeah, absolutely. And like there is, of course, you didn't. And but now these days, I suppose with with social media and phones and yeah. you know sexual imagery that's everywhere, this stuff is even. And you're saying English, Irish, and maths, but like this stuff is actually now even more important than English, Irish, and maths because it's we are entering into a new era and a new age with safety and with self-care with mental health you know this this subject is vitally important to keep people safe and to keep people cared for yes. while they're at school yes and they, I, at 14 that's when you need to start learning these things so we we came out of school I, you're younger than me Pam considerably but we came out of school and we shall we just say we barely knew what our working parts were for well, I got zero sex education, and I I, I went to school in the nineties in, in a community a large community I school in the nineties. Talk to people. I looked. Gir- girls were like a different yeah. species. I came out of school. I yes. No idea how to even talk to them. But you know what the funny thing is, PJ, and I'll tell you this because I'm a guidance counselor as well as a teacher. Students ask me mainly questions on relationships. They don't really ask me many questions about sex at all. They yeah. ask me things like, "How do I how do I ask someone out? How do I break up with someone?" What do I do if I think that, you know, that we're not getting on? And, you know, what do I do then? Or what if my friends don't like my boyfriend? They ask me questions about relationships in the main. So I think the focus is kind of misguided on this on this yes. curriculum. Like, it's a very small part of it. Sure, we have to mention sexuality. We have to mention, yeah. um, you know, just like sexual expression and things like that. Yeah. Um, and pornography. Because, because it is a real live issue for... Yeah. 12 to 18 year olds in this country it's happening everywhere and it's through phones it's not through libraries it's yes. through phones yes. that it's happening and anyone who thinks that a student is checking a, a library book out to learn about sex they're they're living in the 1950s because most students learn about sex through their friends and their phones you know and we know exactly, um, and exactly what you're referring yeah. to with them all. let me let, yeah. let's, let's look at what i particularly jumped off the page to me not having a notion of what was in it until I read your notes. Now let's take lessons two, three, four and five. Okay? You're de- mm. you're dealing with decision making, well being, yeah. self reliance yeah. and understanding your own needs. Now Yes. Okay, my parents did a good job with me when I was a teenager in teaching me those things. Not everybody has those privileges in life. So yes. it's important for kids to get a handle on this in the classroom. Yes. Yeah. I, I was very impressed yeah. with those. And that's, exact, that's exactly why, why I, I sent them on to you, because I feel it's really important for parents to know that I feel this subject is probably the most important subject for, for students when mm. they're at school. Even more, and I and I deal with the leaving cert. Like I got the leaving cert results on Friday, and that was all great. Academic achievement is really important, but actually, at the heart of it is the humanity. It's the relationships. It's how to take care of yourself. They're really vital life skills. And if we're not giving them, or we're avoiding, or we're opting people out, or we're taking them away from it, like it's it's detrimental to their health and their mental health. Can I? Put a scenario on the table, Pam, and one would hope sure. it would never happen here. But I'm looking at the contents in particular of lesson three and four. 
mm. and five. And in the context of the unspeakable tragedy in Clonmel, yeah. Yeah. those kids, okay, they're, they're older now, they're 17 and 18 in that school. They're broken. Mm. They're broken Absolutely. by what's Absolutely. happened. Like I, and to it, have learned yeah. this stuff when they were 14 or 15 would be gold yeah. to them. Absolutely, yeah, because it's all about support. It's all about care. It's all about understanding others, empathy, perspective taking, you know, understanding what others, your own needs and what others might need, consent, all of, the, all of those things, you know, mm. actually strengthens relationships and makes people's bonds stronger. And I'm hoping that these children in Clamel all have very strong bonds because that's what's going to carry them through the coming months and years. Yeah. There's other things you look at as well, health, healthy boundaries. My God, we're only talking about the yeah. Rubiales story this morning, like healthy, yes. healthy boundaries in life, coping skills, you know, your rights yeah. and responsibilities. These are, why do you think though, Pam, there is mm. a pushback against this from, from some quarters? Well, I, I, I actually, it's, it's hard, it's kind of hard to understand. It's, it's, it's like, you know, anyone in education, any teacher, any social worker, any medical professional, any nurse that you speak to knows that this is all basic common sense. It seems to be coming from people who are outside of those realms, you know, people who've never been inside a classroom, who don't really work with young people. They don't really understand, you know, how curriculums work or how education works or how SPHE works. Um, and I wish, I hope that maybe talking to you today or other actually parents can go on the ncca website and there's a whole host of information for parents ncca parents sphe if you look it up everything is there it's all consulted researched and followed through and there's still consultation ongoing for senior cycle sphe which is when you get into the more i suppose and abuse kind of lines of areas and, and into more elevated areas of sex education. But that's under consultation at the moment. It hasn't been rolled out yet. It's more, this this curriculum is junior cycle, so it's mm. uh, 12 to 15s. Yeah, I, I think back to an Ireland where 12, 13 and 14 year old girls in particular ended mm. up in mother and baby homes and Magdalene laundries because Absolutely, they were yeah. and, and, and let's call it a spade a spade here, Pam. They were raped and Absolutely, they and they no, didn't know they didn't have language no for it, PJ. Idea. They had no idea what was no. going on. No, and I'd no, like they to didn't. Think a, they course, know. a course like this will equip our fourteen-year-olds. Absolutely, because you know, like even though there isn't, a, obviously, we don't have laundries anymore, and we do, they can still be groomed. They can still be groomed online. They're still coming across sexual harassment on the streets. There's still, you know, a lot of things like you know, grabbing in nightclubs and, you know, groping and things like that. There's a lot of that going on. So teaching them about bodily autonomy, teaching them to feel strong and saying no, teaching them to report on where the support services are is all part of SPAT. Yeah, and I, I even think back to when my, you know, my, myself and my peers were, were teenagers and youngsters in our 20s maybe. Well, we think what we did back then, we yeah. we, we didn't, think we were doing any harm but yeah. bring it into the modern era Jesus we yeah. we didn't have a clue well it's great now that we have loads of reference points these days you know we have lots of examples and case studies and you know like 
you know, even Coco's law in this country yes. was based on, you know, you know, there's there's loads of new information that we have that Bullying we can use in, in the here, classroom. Should have mentioned that. Yeah, I, absolutely. And and actually, PJ, one of the things that I was really clear with when I was writing this lesson is that actually, you know, the old fashioned physical bullying, you mm. know, the taking someone's bag or giving them an, giving them a, a puck, that that's not really around anymore. The type of bullying that we see a lot of is relational bullying. It's the adding people on Snapchat mm. and then removing them or isolating isolating them, you know, not inviting them places, that insidious kind of online, very hard to kind of track type behavior, leaving someone out, you know, make, making them feel on their own. That's the type of bullying that I wanted to talk about because it's sometimes unseen. Now, one thing I noticed before I let you go, Pam, with regard to, the, I know this is a draft, so it'll probably change, but with regard to the teaching yes. notes and the teaching guides for each lesson, yeah. there's yeah. huge encouragement before the topic is delved into by the teacher. Mm. There's huge mm. encouragement on the youngsters themselves to sort of, if you want, brainstorm. Yeah. As to so what, I have something called, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. It's called hive mind. So yeah. what I'm asking students to do in the beginning is because I never know like every class I go into is different. I never know what their experiences are or what they know about a topic. Some of them might think they might know everything about it and some might think they I'm lost, I don't know anything. So what I like to do is in the beginning is to do a little kind of hive mind with them throw out a few ideas and suggestions or questions and then kind of gauge where they're at with it because sometimes you would have groups that are you know smaller they might not know or you might have kids with additional needs as well who might not exactly grasp the concept so I think it's really important that from the very beginning you're collaborating with the student I'm not telling them everything I'm asking them I'm consulting with them and then I roll out the lesson according to maybe what they think and what their needs are. You know, so that's that's how I roll anyway. That's how I operate in the classroom because it's a collaborative process for me. Well, what I'm going to do, Pam, is I'm going to take a bit more time with this. I'm going to actually go through the whole teaching lesson or the whole the whole lesson guide in more detail, so that when someone's ringing me up here in the weeks and months ahead, going, "This is a disgrace," yeah. that's a disgrace. I know exactly what's yeah. in it and what's not, and I'll be able to because well, I, now this, it's a draft now, PJ. Yeah, will say that, well, and actually, when you, when you the, have it finished, the, send me the finished bit. Yeah, and what I might send you as well, PJ, just so you have it for yourself, is actually the official curriculum. They're the lessons that you have that I okay. will deliver, and Great. I wrote those myself. Self, and um, but I'm tweaking them at the moment because you know there's little suggestions that other teachers are giving me. I'm trying to make them fit with the actually the, the curriculum is only just launched now, so I'm trying to make them just make sure that that not that they're perfect, but that I I really am clued into what we're trying to do here, and that I'm collaborating with other people. Send me on the rest of them. Send me on the rest of it because I'd love to. I'd love to see it. Pam O'Leary, guidance counsellor and teacher at the Cork Educator Killer on Wellington Road, also doing a postgrad in SBHE at DCU. This new curriculum on and look, don't mind what some fella. Thank you, Pam. Don't mind what some fella stop you stops you in Dawn Square and says, "Do you know what they're teaching the kids?" Because trust me, he doesn't know or she doesn't know. There's nothing in here to be afraid of. There's nothing in here that I wouldn't want me. 14-year-olds to learn about. There's nothing in here that I don't wish I was taught about when I was 14. 0818 96 96 96. Right, statement from the Bishop of Cork with regard to before fives. Next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. 
Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie. So earlier this morning, I spoke to Lee. Lee is a parent, one of the many parents affected by the closure of Before Five. Her little girl was all set to start there in the next couple of weeks. We'll podcast that interview with Lee very shortly after the show. Uh, and it'll be also be in the full show podcast, which you can pick up during the afternoon. But they want the bishop, Bishop of Cork, to become involved or at least to acknowledge the problem because of the fact that the land on which Before Five sits was leased by the diocese back in the day. So she asked... Would the bishop, Bishop Gavin, get involved? Would he meet them? Would he talk to them? Would he come to their event tomorrow where they're protesting outside the school at one o'clock tomorrow? So we asked uh, on behalf of Lee and the other parents, we sent an email this morning with a couple of questions, quoting those questions, quoting those queries um, with or to the bishop, and in fairness, his office have come back to us. So this statement has come in from the Diocese of Cork uh, on behalf, or from the office of Bishop Finton Gavin, and it reads, The bishop was shocked, like everybody else in the community, to hear the news of the closure of Before Five last week, and is conscious of the huge effect it'll have on the community. The bishop and the trustees will be happy to engage with any new potential operators to ensure the centre can continue its services. Read that one more time, that the statement, just the one line from the Diocese of Cork, from the office of Bishop Finton Gavin, and it reads for the second time, the bishop was shocked, like everybody else in the community, to hear the news of the closure of Before Five Family Centre in Churchfield last week, and is conscious of the huge effect it will have on the community. The bishop and the trustees will be happy to engage with any new potential operator to ensure the centre can continue its services. That's in response to our email, which was in response to Lee's query and the queries of others over the last few days. I don't know whether that will suffice as an answer. The bishop didn't say, uh, neither did his office say whether he was willing to attend the protest tomorrow. We did ask that, but there was no response offered. Uh, to that particular element of our email. But thank you to the office of the Bishop of uh, Cork, Dr. Uh, Vinton Gavin. On the phone then, that before five is brilliant. They set the standard for many other schools in caring for special cases. I think not only the current parents and staff, but all families that have had children in the school need to show up tomorrow. They've done so much good and it's a shame that they may that they have to close. Thanks for all of those and we will stay with this one. 0818969696. Now Hazel down at the Street Angels. God, we talked many times and we will talk many times again. And um, they do wonderful work with their uh, food kitchen and and the help that they give to the homeless and the needy around town. Hazel, y- you're in a bit of trouble and you need a little favor. Good morning. Yeah, it's um, I just got noticed there. Basically, my lockup I had for the last 
three and a half years is gone. And um, I'm just looking for a small space to facilitate, you know, all the tables, all the equipment, everything. Where do, where do you currently store the stuff? Um, in Shandon Street. Shandon Street. How um, long have you got left before you have to vacate that place? Oh, I mean, I had to, to take it down and take all the stuff out. Okay. It was okay. a space we actually built our own. So now I'm storing the stuff in my house. My whole house is all, um, oh God, you know yourself now. I do. So I'm just pleading for help. What kind of stuff do you have? What are you storing? Um, it's like, you know, all the flasks. Tents, sleeping bags, bamboos, all the general stuff that we use on the night or donations of clothes people give us for the homeless. You know, we used to sort it out and separate the men sure. and the women and sure. all of that. Sure. So. And you, you, you've known her for it now. It's cluttering up no. your, your own house. So you're looking for someone who can offer you a space. That's it. That's exactly it now. And we can maybe pay a few bob a month or something, but we had it free up until about six months ago when it changed hands. I see. Um, well, hopefully someone's listening who can help. That'd be absolutely great. In in the meantime, and they can contact us too at 0818969696 if they can help. In the meantime, you have a fundraiser on Thursday. You're doing one of these smartphone quizzes. Yes, that's right. It's Brian from the Briar Rose. He's very good to us. Uh, once a month donating clothes and he does wonderful work for either house at Christmas he has big huge fundraiser and he I haven't had a chance with COVID to have a fundraiser so this is our first fundraiser in two and a half years and we've been funding it myself and my husband out of our own pockets for the last six months so we have tax and insurance for the van and insurance for the run and everything so There's a lot coming up now. There's the fundraiser event itself on the night in the Briar Rose. That's Thursday, 31st at half past nine. You also are looking for people to buy raffle tickets. Now, you can buy them online, can you? Yeah, Fiverr for a strip of tickets. And we put down their name and and they just have to give their name and phone number. Okay. And we have... the. There's loads of... Go- I'm going to make out a list of all the prizes. I have loads of spots. I have hairdressing spots. I have food. Very good. Very good. Well, send us on that list and, and maybe we get to read it out before it's Thursday. People can get onto you at streetangelscork at gmail.com and they can buy their, buy buy their, their tickets, tickets through PayPal. Yeah. How are things out there, Hazel, in general on the, on the, on the streets? Well, PJ, last Monday night, my God... I'm te- I I set up even a half an hour earlier than normal. Mm. I was there at six o'clock and at twenty to seven we must have had eighty tune before our food even came in. Okay. Now it's run now faster and faster every mm. week because of the size of the queue. Like we fed over a hundred and twenty people last Monday night. And all new faces. This is the frightening thing. People, the normal crowd, bought a lot of faces I've not seen before. Yeah. It's just shocking. And with us coming in out to the winter, I reckon it's going to get a lot worse. Yeah, because the nights are warm at the moment and they the weather are. is pleasant. And yeah. But cold, wet evenings are coming. 
they are. And we were lucky that I got a crew together after the Independence Festival and we got a load of tents and sleeping bags. And yeah. I have a great woman in Mallow, Caroline, Washateria, and she's washing and drying all the sleeping bags from the festival we gathered. Brilliant. And so, you need space to store them as well, don't you? Exactly, yeah. Because I know the people of Cork are amazing and you have a great show and they always respond. So I'm only hoping and praying. I mean, I've never been so desperate in my life for fundraising and for storage. Okay. So you want a small storage unit that you can pay a few bob towards it, not a whole lot. Preferably someone would donate it and you want yeah. to put your tables and your gazebos and your mm-hmm. tents and all your storage stuff in yeah. there in between your runs. If anybody has anything like that, Hazel, they can go back to us either on the on the phone or on yeah, the email. Or you can give them the three shillings. Or we can number. put in touch with you. Yeah. And your event then is Thursday night in the Briar Rose, half nine. And if anybody wants to buy tickets for your raffle, it's streetangelscork at gmail.com. Com by PayPal. Hazel, yeah. good luck with everything. We'll talk again. Oh, PG, you're amazing, man. Keep up the great work, and I really appreciate everything you do for Street Angels. You're brilliant. Pleasure. Bye. Bye bye, Hazel. Thank you. 0818 uh, 96 96 96. Just uh, the, uh, the um, new curriculum. My parents were ashamed. This is from Helen. My parents were ashamed to talk to us about menstruation. Instead, we learned it from the older girls sitting on the steps outside school. And, of course, they'd add things to it, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 0818969696. Pam, what an asset she is to the Educate Together, says Kevin. Um, Anon Bishop Gavin. Um, Baldy Barber says, has anyone ever seen Bishop Finton walking around Cork meeting his people? Bishop John was great for meeting his people. Bishop John is still meeting his people, retired though he might be. Uh, Baldy, I was... um, at a funeral a couple of weeks ago and he wandered in, paid his respects and commiserated with the family and left again and I understand and I say this in the kindest way possible because it's known, I'm sure I understand that he still haunts the corridors of the hospitals wandering around, meeting people chatting to them, praying with them and some people love to see that and Bishop John is an absolute legend for that so yeah, worth 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 a mention. I'm sure in his time, uh, Bishop Finton will do all those things too. Now, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Something else I want to refer to because it was a massive talking point at the weekend. We can't do a whole lot with it because there is an investigation underway. There has been an arrest. Gardi are investigating this, so there's not a lot we can say. But you'll have seen some videos and some pictures going around over the weekend of our Lord Mayor, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, confronted by a protester on Saturday down at the North Main Street Carnival, I think it was, or very close to it anyway. And when he was confronted by this individual, our Lord Mayor, being an entertainer in a previous life, looked at this fella and decided to start singing. And he began to sing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning!, from, is it Oklahoma it's from? And he sang it at the top of his voice. And he has quite a loud voice and quite a decent singing voice. And he did this in the hope that the protester would just go away and leave him alone. Um, there's also a picture on 
social media taken from an angle of someone's hand attempting to grab the chain of office, the chain of McSweeney and McCurtain. Um, and that's led to confrontation, as you'd imagine. The whole thing is going on and there's an investigation. We are being told that the arrest is not related to what happened in North Main Street and we will watch the story progress. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Things can get conflated one into another. But anyway, that happened in the street on Saturday. The Lord Mayor reacted as he did. The videos went viral. The pictures are out there. Um, We can't say a whole lot, but we are aware of it. We certainly are aware of it. 0818 96 96 96 and it's one that we will watch. Now, Kevin, it's a long time since anybody contacted us to talk about waste of water. I was only talking to someone at the weekend, an elderly lady, whom I know for many, many years um, has been given a, a water bill. She's absolutely no intention of paying it because she knows there's a leak involved. She's none, no intention whatsoever of paying it. Um, Kevin, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What's happening? Your your mom is copping out water rather a lot lately. Yes, well, the whole area here is uh, affected. Where are you? In the mud village in Tor. Okay. okay. That's where my mother lives, and uh, she's 89 now. Okay. And moving on, there's a lot of old people in the area as well, especially needs as well. I see, I see. And And how long is this going on? Oh, I'd say about 10 years now. Right. So what? At least what, ten years. What is it, the water? Is is it, is it the flow is bad, or there's lime in the water, or what's the story? There's an asbestos pipe that keeps breaking. An asbestos pipe. An asbestos water pipe that hasn't been changed since the 1950s. Right. And they promised to actually change the pipe before they retired the road, and they came and said that they couldn't afford to change the pipe, so they tired the road, and the pipe broke again. So they were done fixing it again. You know, it's just two days. Every so often, fairly frequently, the pipe will break for no apparent reason. It's just the pressure. Okay. And um, the the county council are under pressure as well because they have to wait for the water to come out to turn it off Mm. when it breaks. Yeah. And... Then they have to get contracted. Go, gone are the days when the council could just come in their come little van and turn it off. That's all gone. Like sensible yeah. things, like that's all gone. Yes, just seems to be. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going on. It's just unbelievable that the water has goes off on a regular basis, and the same area, the same section of pipe keeps breaking. And if it was replaced once, mm. it would cover the cost. You know, of all the repairs, yeah, you wondered, and they're just putting a, a plaster. You know, on how much the, water is being wasted? Apart from the inconvenience of it all, how much good clean water is being wasted? Oh, that was happening the other evening. So as soon as they finished turning the road, they left at seven o'clock. They turned on the water because they'd broken a small pipe outside the house, and they reduced the pressure. And when they turned the pressure back on, the main pipe burst on the newly turned road. Good. And the council guy was sitting there waiting. The road flooded in water, and he said, "I can't do anything until Irish water come and turn it off." You see, that's the word. That's the bit that annoys the hell out of me because in the not too distant past, Kevin, he would have been able to reach into the back of the van, take out a gadget, 
and turn off the water there and then, correct? Correct, correct. And and, and in years past, council would have fixed the pipe, replaced yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. In regards to your mom and indeed the other residents of the model village and tower, it must be a complete pain in the arse for that to be happening. An old asbestos pipe just cracking and fracturing and repair it and then it goes again repair it then it goes again repair it then it goes again not to mention the waste of good clean drinking water thanks Kevin 0818 96 96 96 couple more comments on the uh, Rubiales Hermoso kiss controversy where as I said this morning I believe he owes that woman an apology and if he was to properly apologise to her for what he did it might all blow over as it is now the Spanish footballers are saying they won't play for their country until he's gone from office and he's refusing to step down Um, although it was completely wrong to do so does a person need to lose their livelihood for something so small it was wrong on all counts but surely he doesn't deserve this amount of coverage says Frank in Nahini. Well, it has developed into a bigger story than it might have been, Frank. Um, he shouldn't have done it. It looked awful. It looked just out of place. It's, you just don't do it. I'm sure if he apologised to the woman, they could settle it, uh, rather than have anyone resign. But I do take your point. The Spanish football stuff, says Kevin, the entire coaching staff have resigned. The players are refusing to play. Listening to some of your texts this morning, people haven't a clue about control or consent. It's actually kind of sad. Now, go walk into work, says Kevin. Grab a colleague by the head, kiss her, and see what happens to you. Yeah. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Yeah, more details will be finished today about how you can enter our ultimate rugby giveaway. And that's on since 8.15 this morning. I'll tell you how to uh, how to get involved in that before we finish today. A couple more comments coming in on that whole Spanish football kiss thing. Look, it's controversial for many, many reasons. Um, I just got an interest in it over the weekend when I heard the various sides of the story and then... What happened was I had seen, I was watching the end of the match or the highlights of the match and I saw what had happened. Um, I saw it on video and it was a split second and I didn't take a whole pile of notice of it. But then what happened over the weekend or maybe Friday was I saw this snapshot, this kind of freeze frame of, of what had happened and I had a totally different view on it. And I just figured, look, regardless of who needs to resign or who does not, he needs to apologise. He definitely needs to apologise to Jenny Hermoso and then maybe it'll all go away. And all he has to do is say, look, I'm sorry, uh, in the excitement of the moment, I stepped out of line and that's all he's got to do, I would suggest. And that would be enough to make it go away. 0818 96 96 96. A few more things that came in. I started this morning by going through this uh, story that's breaking about the electricity bills and Pinergy is about to announce or has it already announced it's about to announce, it has announced a cut in electricity bills it's electricity bills and they expect that follows up from this new supplier you know who came into the market last week and then it's expected that Electric Ireland 
and Board Gosh and all the others will follow suit and start cutting their costs or cutting our bills as we head into the winter. Uh, the Independent does some good analysis. Charlie Weston has been digging into what we're actually paying per unit of electricity. And on average, among, if you put all the various plans together across our suppliers, our long list of suppliers and the various plans and deals and prices and costs that are available to you, well, we are paying an average of 41 cents per unit of lecky in this country. 41 cents per unit. The European average per unit is 26 cents. So we're paying an awful lot more than our EU counterparts. The cost on the Pinergy, they say that'll lower the bills for a typical family of around 220 quid a year, which is 36 euro roughly over a six bill cycle. That's bill every every two months and the others will, will follow suit. But there's we're nowhere near being back to pre, pre-pandemic or pre-Ukraine war uh, prices for electricity and gas as we head into the as we head into the winter. And the budget now, just let me have a look. The budget is now 44 days away. Michael McGrath and um, the other fella, it's gone on my head. They've said that um, they will look after struggling families in the budget. I, I sincerely hope that what doesn't happen is that now that the prices are starting to go down a little bit, that that will change. I sincerely hope that won't happen. It's one we will watch with interest. Coming back to the remember Valerie story, and we'll podcast Valerie again um, after the show. Valerie became homeless. She's from Charleville. She became homeless in the last couple of weeks, and she and her kids are now living in homeless accommodation here in the city in a very small, cramped... It's comfortable, but it's pokey and small and cramped. But she now has to drive every day to Charleville to get her children to school and stuff like that. And she became emotional her whole life. She had it all planned out when her two kids were in school. She had it all planned out. She was going to go back to education, get a job, do all this. That's all on hold now. And she was talking about that and she was saying about how she's then discovered the plans for these modular homes in Charleville. And she would like one of those. Then there are other builds not, that are complete and, and empty. And she's going to say, look, I understand that the Ukrainian people need accommodation, need help, but so do I. And where's my accommodation and my help? Kevin says, I really hope this doesn't turn into us versus them. It's housing is the issue. It's been the issue for years. It's not the fault of people from Ukraine. And to be fair, Kev, to be fair to Valerie, she would endorse that. It's not their fault. But she's saying... All of these modular housing units are being built. They're fabulous. They're perfect. They're ideal. She can have one. And she feels hard done by. But she's 40 minutes drive away taking her kids to school. And you can see where she's coming from, can you not? 0818 96 96 96. With regard to the bishop, we did get the statement in from the bishop about before five. Um, read a few one more time. He said the bishop or the bishop's office on his behalf said the bishop in shock to hear of the news of the closure of before five. It's conscious of the huge effect it'll have on the community and the bishop will be happy to engage with any new potential operators 
to ensure the centre can continue to provide its services. So that at least is a positive response from Bishop Fintan Gavin, and we, and we welcome that. Two comments in, and on the back of it then, um, the Baldy Barber was wondering, has anyone ever seen Bishop Fintan walking around meeting his people? Bishop John is great at that, says the Baldy Barber. Tom then said, I want to congratulate the Baldy Barber. In fact, I taught him at school, <laughs> said Tom, for what he said about the two bishops. Bishop Gavin isn't that well known at all compared to Bishop Buckley. He definitely needs to get out and meet people more. That's the advice being given to to Bishop Gavin. Come here tomorrow on Lorraine and Ross in the morning. The more details on the ultimate rugby experience. We want to send you off details in a second how you can enter to see Ireland take on South Africa. They've got four thousand euro up to be won in two rounds of the two grand minutes, and they're playing <laughs> the stuff they come up with. They're playing movie pilot ping pong tomorrow. I don't know. I don't get it but they'll do it. And then this morning they had a good crack. Aoife took on the two grand minute and uh, they were under pressure when a wrong answer this happens sometimes in the quizzes a wrong answer can nearly be better than the right one. This is from this is from this is from this morning What is the name of Michael D. Higgins' wife, President? Oh, I'm Breda <laughs> <laughs> Glorious answer, Brida. <laughs> I prefer Brida, to be honest. I do too. I think we should give her that one. <laughs> Lorraine and Ross in the morning on Cork's ninety-six FM. Yeah, when the wrong answer is better than the right one, it's true, isn't it? And that's it for today. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. All your podcasts up shortly. I will talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with hidden hearing changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.